0: com and definitely check out those shows as well Amico jean is the author of mika in real life a novel and this is one of our guest hosted episodes by alicia fernandez miranda whose own book my what if year is coming out from Zibby books in february When Amiko is not writing, she is reading. Most of her friends are imaginary. Before she became a writer, she was an entomologist, fancy name for bug catcher, a candle maker, a florist, and most recently, a teacher. She lives in Washington with her husband and children, unruly twins, and she loves the rain.
2: All right. Hi, everybody. And welcome back to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am here with Emiko Jean, the author of Mika in Real Life. But actually, I just want to talk to you about your Twilight fan fiction. That's what we're here really to talk about today.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you're not the first. You're not the first to bring it up. And it still exists on the Internet, (laughs) Okay, so I did. I did a cursory Google, and I did not find it. So yeah, it's buried <laughs> under an anonymous name, and it will say anonymous. But yeah, I think that's you know, it's not unheard of for a lot of writers to start like you know in fan fiction or kind of replicating the stories that they. You know, we're really drawn to it. I think I read in like a uh, in Stephen King's book that he even started when he was very young, kind of taking the the comics or the books that he was reading and making up stories based off of those. That's so awesome. I have never thought to do that,
2: but now I'm thinking there's maybe like a whole world of Gilmore Girls fan fiction out there that I could be writing right now. Yeah. So.
3: We're <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. We're not really here to talk about your Twilight fan <laughs> fiction. Although maybe after this call is over, you can send me some of the pieces. We are here to talk about the brilliant. Mika in Real Life, which is a book I just enjoyed. And I know I'm not the only one because I've seen it all over the place. It's been a book club, darling, for the past uh, past little bit of time. And so it's very, very exciting. So congratulations on it.
3: Thank you.
2: So why don't you start by telling our listeners uh, what the book is about?
3: Sure. So Mika in Real Life is all about uh, Mika Suzuki, whose life is a mess For example, like her last relationship ended in flames. Her roommate slash best friend might be a hoarder. She's a perpetual disappointment to her very traditional Japanese parents. And most recently she's been fired from her latest dead end job. And she's at this point, her lowest point, when she receives a phone call from Penny, the daughter that she placed for adoption 16 years prior. Penny is young and enthusiastic and really wants to forge a relationship with her biological mother. And Mika really wants to as well, but faced with her own inadequacies, Mika tells a teeny tiny white lie about her life (laughs) where she is far more put together than she actually is. And it slowly snowballs from there and things take a turn when Penny decides to surprise Mika with an in-person visit and Mika is forced to take this life that she's created on the phone with Penny and make it into something real. It's
2: such a fantastic premise and... Uh, it's got so many twists and turns that I think people will not expect from it. Where did the idea for this book come from? How did you kind of, I, I know that you, or I think that you were working on this book when you did your last interview with Zibby on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for your previous book.
3: Yeah.
2: So the idea has been there for a while. Where did it come from?
3: Yeah, I think it's always hard to kind of pinpoint the exact moment where, you know, inspiration like takes root. Mm. I remember I was promoting Tokyo Ever After, which is the book that I was on the podcast for last. And I had to take some pictures for social media. And this was like, right, I think right when the pandemic was starting and I had my, I have twins and my partner was out of town and I needed to take these photographs like very, very quickly, like within 20 minutes. And so (laughs) I, had, um, I, of course, they were, like, also, like, throwing tantrums and, like, just, it was all of a mess. It was all a mess. And I lured them into, like, a side room with, like, a snack and television, of course. Mm, of course. <laughs> that's the to show. The greatest parenting <laughs> so I, tool known to mankind. <laughs> no. And so I, like, did my hair, but I only curled the front. And, like, I painted the, you know, the nails on, like, one hand because that's all that would show in the photo. And I kind of had this moment of, like, why... Am I doing this? Like the world was falling apart, I felt like I was falling apart, and like why did I feel so much pressure to present myself in a certain way? And I think that was really the moment where you know Mika in real life that question started. Like why would someone fake a life, and and what would drive them to do that? And for Mika, I mean, it was very clear she had this abundance of love for her daughter, but she also wanted her daughter to be proud of her. And so she reconstructed her life. And it's such a, it's so funny that that's kind of the, you know, one of the seeds of
2: where this came from, because there, Mm -hmm. a lot of her, the fiction that she constructs about her life is to do with these Instagram posts that she had because they've been seen right by her daughter. So she has Mm -hmm. to kind of go back and see what she posted and then be like, Oh, wow. Okay, this is this is the exact (laughs) life that I need to construct, which is, you know, I mean, when you think actually about how much people do put together what it is ends up on social media, especially on Mm -hmm. Instagram, which is so visual, it's like, you can you can really kind of see that realistically happening to someone.
3: Yeah, I think you know when I look back at that time, I was also a relatively new mom, and I did my fair share of mom Instagram scrolling, mm. and I saw a lot of really perfect relationships with, of mothers with their children, and I remember feeling bad that <laughs> like I, I didn't have that same that same experience, and of course. You know, I was stuck kind of up in a whirlwind of like hormones and all that kind of stuff. So now that I have had some separation from it and that I could kind of um, synthesize it all, that's, of course, not what's really going on. There's a lot more going on behind the photographs. And this book kind of, you know, uncovers that. Yeah, I think it does. And we were talking before about our shared
2: experience of having twins. And I am so grateful that I was not on Instagram when my (laughs) twins were babies, actually, because it would have been terrible. And also, I'm sure I would have put like the one really cute picture that was the outtake of like the 45 pictures of someone screaming at me (laughs) to do something at some point. (laughs) <laughs> Which yeah. still honestly happens. So you, this is your first adult fiction book that's out. Is that correct? Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That is correct. Yeah. Tokyo Ever After was YA. And I was wondering a bit about the difference in your process writing an adult fiction book. Mm-hmm. And also if you ever thought about this being a YA book with Penny as the kind of, uh, you know, the narrative point of view, or if this was always a book about Mika and her experience or her at the center of it, I guess.
3: Yeah. It's so funny. Once I had drafted the book, I kind of realized that Penny probably could have been her own character, the lead in in a YA book, Mm. you know, with her struggle, you know, with adoption and I'm trying to figure out who she is. But this book was always adult. I think it was because You know, the themes that I wanted to explore, you know, like intergenerational trauma and motherhood, those are far more suited for an adult book. I also wanted to incorporate different points of view, and you can't necessarily always do that with a young adult book. Usually it's very centrally focused on who the protagonist is. And so I always knew that Mika in real life would be better suited for for an adult book. And did your, was your process any different? I'm
2: looking, so I can see behind you, this is not a video podcast, of course, but there's some like beautiful Mm -hmm. grids behind you with different colored post-its. So (laughs) maybe you're working on something. Has, did your process Mm -hmm. change in the writing of this book? And, you know, you've now written multiple books. So um, how has your, what is your process and how has it evolved over time?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an evolution. So with my first book, which was a, was a young adult thriller, I Wrote by the seat of my pants. I don't know if you're familiar with the pan the pantser term, right? <laughs> like where you, just, where you just write and draft a whole book. And it was a mess. And I think I had to revise it probably a couple dozen times before I got it in shape and ready for it to be submitted. And after that book, I started to work from an outline. And since then, my outlines have gotten much tighter in terms of not only what's happening in each scene and plot wise, but character arc and thematically. So I'm much more intentional now with knowing where the character is going to start and where I want them to end up. Not only like the main character, but all of the side characters and figuring out how their journeys influence each other. Mm. And especially with what thematics I want to explore. I'm really passionate these days about exploring like what it means to be a yellow body in the United States. And there's a lot of material there and there's really no right way or expression of that. And so I've been able to mine that in several books and the grid behind me actually is (laughs) for another adult book. And it's my, like, I, I have found with adult books, I need to create more of time, more timelines and history around them, especially when I dig into like the characters past. So much of what happens to us as young people influences Mm. how we are as older people. And so, um, I've had to do more work around past life ex- uh, events, and also like histor like what's happened historically in their lives too.
1: And that's what that. That's a big like. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day. All for just five dollars. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
2: Are you, are you like a very dead, do you like get up and write, you know, in the morning? Like, do you write for a certain amount of time every day? Are you really diligent about your kind of schedule or do you just go when inspiration strikes?
3: Yeah. So pre-kids, I love to be a nighttime writer. Like the nighttime was the right time. <laughs> it was so quiet and I loved it, but I have since adjusted. I think as many people do when you, when you have children, my life now revolves around like their lives. So I wake up, I get ready and I write from like eight to four if I'm drafting. And then I, I have a very, you know, delineated turn off switch. So I turn it off at four and then I go back. You know, the next day. Yeah,
2: that's very good. Mm-hmm. You mentioned these this kind of theme. I definitely picked this idea up of you know Tokyo. over after and Mika in real life, you've got these young and older Japanese women who are growing up in predominantly white communities um, yeah. in the U.S. And you, you're you've got these brilliant details and these very cheeky observations about. The West Coast specifically, I think, and maybe Portland specifically, but I just uh-huh. want I want to read you two of my favorites okay. <laughs> from the book. The first was a scene where Mika is in church with her parents, and the church is being described. It says, behind her was a, spe- a specially commissioned Asian Jesus. The woodworker used only fallen logs found on non-tribal lands and plastic pieces harvested from the floating garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean, which I just – that has really stuck with me. And then we've got – it's tepid apple kombucha. I got it from the goat yoga studio across the street. I mean, if there was ever like a, like a West coast, I mean, I'm, I'm an East coaster by birth and now I live in the UK, but like, this is what I think of when I think of Portland and Washington, the Pacific Northwest. So tell me a little bit about that sense of place and also particularly about creating, you know, these women who are, as you described, you know, yellow bodies in America.
3: Yeah. So I grew up in Portland. I grew up on the West Coast. So it's very much alive inside of me. And I, I really try to make it a character or any sort of setting a character within a book. And, you know, of course, some things are exaggerated, but I, what you just read actually wasn't <laughs> exaggerated. This <laughs> thing exists in Portland. Um, and the church that Mika goes to, is inspired by a church that I attended as a young person that was an all-Japanese congregation in south, Southeast Portland. And a lot of the experiences that Mika and also Izumi in Tokyo Ever After go through are mirrors of my own experiences mm-hmm. growing up in the Pacific Northwest in a in a majority white community and and kind of what happened to me. I grew up I grew up in a time where it wasn't polite to talk about race. And so when I was confronted with my race, when someone would make a remark about it, I was told just to ignore it. Mm. So in that way, I was really erased. And I really didn't know how to handle my own identity. I didn't know what my identity was until much later in life. I remember when I was younger wanting... To be blonde and to be white because that was the the standard of beauty at the time, and not being celebrated for, you know, who I was and my Japanese American identity. So I, I've taken a lot of those struggles and put them put them on the page. Does it feel cathartic to do that? To be able to like go back
2: and kind of create these fictional characters who are maybe better equipped or more able to deal with that than you were when you were younger.
3: Yeah, in many ways, I'm. You know, sometimes I reinvent. What happened to mm. me? <laughs> so uh, you know, so for example, if I have a character that's, you know, facing a microaggression, maybe they're more equipped to say something, mm. you know, in that moment where, you know, as a as a young person, I would remain silent, or I give them the journey that I wish that I had. had. So when I did Tokyo over after, Izumi really comes to know herself and her identity much sooner than I did as a young person. And Mika, you know. Although she has trouble accepting herself, she's pretty strongly rooted in her Mm Japanese-American identity. She's just never felt like enough as a woman, which I feel like is kind of, we all feel that way as women sometimes. Yeah, totally. This book,
2: it seems like it's been very well received. I know it's been GMA Book Club, Marie Claire Book Club. Are you happy with the reception? Do you feel like you've really hit your stride now? Like this is, you know, going the way
3: you want it to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. You know, I never start... When I write a book, it's always, it starts with myself. Like, what do I want to write about? You know, how is this going to be fulfilling for me? And then you worry later on about how it's going to be received. And uh, you hope you hope that, that people will like it and be welcoming of it. And, you know, sometimes it can very much feel like a shout into the void, especially when you're alone and writing something because mm. you're not sure if people are going to connect with it. But I've been, you know, fortunate to have, you know, these connections made and connections made in big ways and have, you know, women reach out to me and say, like, they felt this way at one time in their life or, and, you know, the Japanese American community reaching out about about the book and some of the things in it. So it's been really, it's been really neat. That's so awesome.
2: And what's next for you? You've got this fiction project you're plotting behind mm-hmm. you. Uh, is that where you're focusing most of your time right now?
3: Yeah, I'm still, I'm uh, developing another young adult novel and uh, I am writing another fiction novel, and that's you know, I us writers are kind of secret about <laughs> our projects, so that's all I can share right now. But <laughs> I hope to like share more soon. Yeah,
2: that's exciting. Uh, I am working on a novel right now, and I I spend most of the time just being like, I think this is terrible.
3: <laughs> Yeah. No, that's the process.
2: Yeah. That's the process. It feels yeah. good. When other people tell me they feel like that job, I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay. I know that's yeah. the process. Um, so I host a podcast called Quit Your Day Job. So I'm very fascinated by people's careers and their career paths. And mm-hmm. yours is very unique. You've got it in your bio. So you've got candle maker, florist, mm-hmm. Entom- mm-hmm. entomologist, entomologist, entomologist bug, yeah. bug person. Yes. How did you find all
3: those jobs and what led you to writing? Good question. So I always loved reading and I always loved writing as a young person. The majority of what I read and consumed was by white authors and had white characters. So I I, I guess subconsciously I got the message that I, I could enjoy these things, but I could never really be a part of them, that I could never actually be published or a writer. And so I just kind of moved on, but I was really lost, you know, during a lot of my twenties, like I was just trying new jobs. And if you look at them aside from entomologists, which I, I love, I love bugs still, but (laughs) a lot of them were like creative pursuits. So I was, I think I was a very creative person Mm. and I was really looking for an outlet. Yeah, I've always, you know, liked making things, you know, I even love, as weird as it sounds, I don't know if this is necessarily within the creative umbrella, but like, I, I even love like cleaning or like vacuuming because you can see something that you've done, right? Like I like making things. And so I think that's what I was doing. I just hadn't quite found the ra- the right path. And I was working a job, which I won't say, say what, and I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was deeply unhappy at it and I was kind of a token hire. So I was hired to run like this diversity program Mm. and I was the only person of color on staff and I was so unhappy. And while I was supposed to be working, I began writing my first novel, like on the job, like I would pretend to be typing emails (laughs) and I would be writing chapters. Yeah. Of this book into like drafts of emails. And I realized how happy it made me, you know? And it was at a time where i was financially secure enough to which makes a big difference yeah. that i decided to quit that job and give myself you know a certain amount of time to to finish this book and pursue it and so i did and that's that's kind of where everything took off for me but yeah i did and you know what's great though i don't think i would choose in any other path because I've used all of that in novels now. Yeah. That I've I've written, you know, one of the one of the novels that I'm developing now has an entomologist in it. And I wouldn't have that, you yes. know, as a I wouldn't have that rich terrain to pull from if I hadn't have worked all of this and come to writing, you know, later in life. If you weren't writing, what else would you be doing?
2: Professionally. That's
3: a good question. I it's so hard to imagine. Yeah. It's so hard to imagine. I have a teaching degree. I would probably be teaching and, and reading a lot and probably putting a lot of that into the classroom, that kind of that passion for reading. Yeah. That's amazing. Teaching kids, like little kids or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's always amazing. Yeah,
2: little- Actually, when I do meet people who have young kids that aren't teaching kids, I'm always really, really amazed that you would want to pursue a career that involved having children (laughs) around you all the time. I say this as a mother that really loves my children, but I also really love when they go to school with the real teachers.
3: (laughs) I am looking, and this is a side note, mom stuff, but I am like my kids are like poised for kindergarten next year. And I'm very much looking forward to like kindergarten and having them, out of the house and having kind of that space to myself too. So I totally understand. That's
2: amazing. You gave some great advice on your last time on this Mm -hmm. podcast. We always like to finish up with advice to aspiring writers. You can give your same advice again, if that's like your true advice or new advice, if you have it. But what advice would you give to aspiring
3: writers? I would say that it doesn't have to be perfect. That's something that I've, you know, learned throughout this process is that it's, your writing is probably never going to be perfect. Even when you get something published, you're going to go back and be like, I wish I had done this differently. It it doesn't have to be perfect. And I also want to say, you know, I want to encourage people to write authentically. Mm. I've gone through the experience of like writing with my debut novel, I wrote a white character. I kind of wrote outside of myself because I was trying to get published Mm -hmm. and I've had far more success and fulfillment writing authentically. So really mining things that are important to me and things that I care about.
2: That's such good advice. I think if you care about it, other people are going to care about it too. It's going to shine through. This has been such a wonderful chat. Where can listeners find you online uh, for more information about like what you're up to?
3: I'm on Instagram and that's usually where I post if I have something exciting going on. And I believe my handle is emikojeanbooks on Instagram. I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Thank you.
2: (laughs) Sorry for stalking you online. I was doing my my prep. (laughs) I I love it. Emiko, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.